0: Welcome to This Week in Surgery Centers. If you're in the ASC industry, then you're in the right place. Every week, we'll start the episode off by sharing an interesting conversation we had with our featured guest, and then we'll close the episode by recapping the latest news impacting surgery centers. We're excited to share with you what we have, so let's get started and see what the industry's been up to. Hi everyone. Here's what you can expect on today's episode. Dr. Tom Kenjarski is the founder and managing partner of Noble Anesthesia Partners, and he is also the first anesthesiologist we've had on the podcast, which is exciting. And on today's episode, our host Nick Latz is chatting with Dr. Kenjarski about how surgery centers can optimize case scheduling for all stakeholders, which of course includes your anesthesia partners. In our news recap, we'll cover virtual nurses, the demand for anesthesia providers, ASCA's ASC Administrator Development Program, and of course, end the news segment with a positive story about a nurse who is using her artistic skills to help her peers reduce job-related anxiety. Hope everyone enjoys the episode, and here's what's going on this week in Surgery Centers.
1: Dr. Kanjarski, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us today. And you're our first anesthesiologist um, on the podcast. So excited to, to have you on. And before we dig in, I uh, was hoping, Dr. Kanjarski you could tell me a little bit about yourself and your professional background.
2: Sure, sure. Uh, I was raised in uh, Buffalo, New York, uh, went to college and medical school at the University of Rochester. Uh, Moved down to uh, Texas in 1998 for residency at UT Southwestern and and never left. Uh, After training, I worked for two different groups uh, as an employed anesthesiologist and then started my own group, uh, Noble Anesthesia Partners, back in October of 2011. Um, Since that time, I brought practice management or business operations in house in 2014 and had the opportunity to acquire. Um, another uh, practice management company that takes care of any type of office based physician you might go see primary care doctors surgeons or specialists Um, and then from there uh, just grew the anesthesia group Um, you know we've been practicing in Dallas and very soon after uh, moved over to our neighboring town Fort Worth have a very heavy presence there Uh, we've been in Houston Texas for over eight years El Paso Texas for over two and then just started uh, Corpus Christi, Texas last month. Um, along with that, uh, as, as we were growing, uh, we entered into a partnership with Ambulatory Management Solutions out of Chicago, Illinois uh, at the end of 2021. So um, they've given us um, a lot of insight on um, how to be able to, to grow the practice and also to add a, another service line to our anesthesia group, namely office-based anesthesia.
1: Hmm. Thanks, thanks for sharing that. And I did did want to ask a couple of questions about your anesthesia group, Noble Anesthesia Partners. And, and one of the things that makes you unique, and you touched on the relationship with ambulatory management solutions, but um, I understand you guys are one hundred percent focused on the ASC market from a client perspective.
2: Is that right? Um. Just about. Uh, We're focused on ambulatory anesthesia. So uh, we work in ambulatory surgery centers, like you mentioned, but also acute care surgical hospitals, um, smaller community hospitals with an outpatient uh, um, focus. And then as I mentioned with, with AMS, uh, we have entered into office-based anesthesia over the course of the last year in both the Dallas, Fort Worth and Houston markets. So, um, we, we will go to any centers, but primarily um, our focus is on ambulatory anesthesia services, outpatient anesthesia.
1: Gotcha. And, and how did you decide to focus on the, those segments of the market and specifically kind of the outpatient side?
2: Oh, it, it kind of chose us. Um, you know, the uh, uh, level one tertiary care trauma center market is highly saturated. Um, Those are the contracts that a lot of the national groups compete for, primarily because uh, there is a stipend or a revenue guarantee associated with them. And what we found uh, is in ambulatory centers, such as acute care surgical hospitals, surgery centers, of course, uh, surgeons' offices, there's, there's no stipend to be had. So uh, we found a lot of the larger groups were neglecting those outpatient centers. Hmm. Um, They were sending people there who were post-call because they could offer them the shortest days in order to to get back home to their families. Uh, They were sending providers, especially in in rural communities that didn't have the same level of training in regional anesthesia uh, that our providers did. So uh, having focused on that, um, we developed our brand. And word got out that, wow, this this is a totally different approach to ambulatory anesthesia. And uh, uh, Noble um, became a known entity and then became recommended between facility administrators and then the larger surgery center organizations like USPI and SCA.
1: Fantastic. Um, and in focusing on those segments, the, the, the ASC segments and just your business in general, um, one of the things that comes up a lot these days is staffing, staffing at the ASC level, staffing at, you know, from an anesthesiologist perspective. How is that impacting your business and,
2: and what are you seeing specifically at Noble? Oh, the market is crazy right now for providers. Um, and again, uh, these these kind of go hand in hand. The larger uh, centers, the, the tertiary care centers, level one centers, um, because they usually have entered into contracts with the groups that have some type of revenue guarantee or stipend, um, you know, absorb those costs uh, when either the market is going up for employed anesthesiologists or they have to resort towards uh, locum tenens coverage. So in those situations, uh, yes, the anesthesia group is having to pay more in order to recruit the providers they need, but they're able to pass those costs on for the most part to um, those larger centers and then subsequently the local state and federal governments. And, you know, that's, that's our, you know, that's you and me. So when you have a practice like noble anesthesia partners, which is totally dependent on the revenue generated from the uh, anesthesia services at those ASCs and um, uh, acute care surgical hospitals, your, your hands are really tied. Um, there, there is, there's only so much uh, that you can offer those providers because uh, a lot of times, those centers aren't interested in paying any type of stipend or financial support whatsoever. So um, the market is, has kind of been really crazy for for all anesthesia groups, but specifically for us, it's, it's been a lot harder because we we don't have that blank check in, uh, to write. Sure. So um, that's presented quite a challenge for us.
1: Yeah, and and on that front, uh, are you doing anything different from a recruiting perspective? or from a, a coverage model perspective, how are, you, how are you thinking about
2: changing the business model accordingly? <laughs> um, well, um, <laughs> that's a great question. Um, we have uh, tried to work collaboratively with, with those centers in order to explain to them the, the financial constraints that we're under and how the way that they schedule cases really affects the way that we're able to staff them. Um, if they want to, you know, have X number of rooms worth of cases, but in each of those rooms, they don't book enough cases in order for us to cover the cost of a provider, we're losing money. We're, we're, we're subsidizing that center for the day. Sure. And, um, you know, that, that becomes a challenge, especially for, for some centers, which are just getting started and all centers are you know, really interested in, in taking care of the surgeons and patients and just accepting the case whenever the surgeon wants to post it, whatever time they want to post it. Um, for us, we've had to educate them about, you know, if you are able to stack the cases in one room, have a surgeon have a morning block and another one in an afternoon block, or instead of a surgeon booking three cases on three different days saying, hey, is there any chance that the surgeon could do all three of those on the same day? Boy, that would really help us. Those are the types of things that that we've had to do in order to kind of make sure that we can continue to find and pay for the types of providers that are, are um, necessary for those types of facilities. Um, there, there's there's a higher customer service factor in those types of facilities because a lot of them are open staff and you're only as good as your last case. So, you know, you, you really have to do your best as, as the owner of an anesthesia group to find, you know, kind of the the best and the brightest, and then people who are not necessarily focused on shift work. Um, you know, we, we, we don't hire providers from seven to three, seven to seven or whatever. So it's different, but in general, we accentuate the fact that it is a lifestyle practice. When you're in ASC, they close for the day and then they don't open until the next morning. So there's, there's no bring backs. There's no call, uh, elective cases on the weekends are just that, um, and usually are done by mutual agreement with us. So um, our biggest selling point is the fact that you know they're not going to be taking in-house overnight call. They're not going to be working on weekends, and if they do offer uh, to do that, they are going to be rewarded on top of whatever their their base compensation package is.
1: Sure, and and you touched on something there that I think is pretty interesting, which is uh, the staffing challenges, forcing more conversations and collaborations with the ASCs on on scheduling and, and stacking, and how, how do you get more efficient with the case volumes, right? And, and the case mix and, and the times. Um, yes. How how collaborative are your customers with <clears throat> you on on those requests and those needs?
2: <laughs> Boy, is that a loaded question. Um, I would say at first blush, not very collaborative, but I've always uh, felt that the most important question uh, anybody could ask is why? Um, for the first time in, in, in at least my memory, um, I I am hearing that uh, anesthesia groups are asking for subsidies from ambulatory surgery centers in order to support um, their, their staffing costs. Um, They're also refusing cases. They're, they're having trouble finding coverage or whatever. And as administrator, I would think the most important question to ask is why. Um, So uh, what we're finding is as um, ASCs are becoming more sophisticated and able to draw um, higher acuity cases from the hospitals, um, you know, for example, we're now doing total joint replacements on an outpatient basis. As you're moving those cases from the, you know, larger centers into an ASC, the demographic changes as well. You, you do have a higher incidence of, of governmental payers, um, you know, who, who require those higher acuity services. So we've tried to explain that saying, hey, this might be a financial boon for you as an ASC because you get to do a bigger case. But we don't share that same benefit. Our, our Medicare rate is the same, no matter if we do that case at a hospital or an ASC or mm-hmm. um, you know anywhere else. So um, again, I, I think that uh, we have tried and we have been fairly successful with with our administrators just saying, "Here's the challenges we're facing." Um, we've shown them our you know data um, to say, "Hey, you know this might look like a great day, but you know based on the number of cases and what they are." And whatever the uh, the payer mix is for those patients that day, we're not covering the cost of our provider. And, you know, in the past, you know, we've had centers come up to us and say, well, we've always had two anesthesiologists. And I was like, your case volume and demographics won't cover the case of just two CRNAs. So, you know... Again, it it becomes a discussion. Um, but I, I think the most important question that they could ask, having seen these staffing challenges or or, or requests for stipends or other th- things, is is to ask why and to enter into discussion with the anesthesia group. And uh, we have no trouble being forthcoming with with those uh, types of data points for them, showing them that what might be a great day for them, and you know. Great day for the surgeon is actually going to be operating at a loss for their anesthesia provider.
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's super interesting, right? Because in the long term, uh, the business model has to make sense for all stakeholders, right? So t- to your yes. point on on the more acute cases and maybe the increased case profitability from those cases, um, yeah, it, it, it seems like there's some interesting that doesn't
2: translate to anesthesia services. There's some it, interesting
1: it conversations there around how you potentially spread the economics. Do you, do you foresee any, you know, kind of major changes to anesthesia care? You know, if you're putting on your, your, your five-year hat and lens looking in the future?
2: <laughs> well, I do. And, you know, again, you, you asked some great questions. Um, you know, um When I started, and and I've reached that age where I can say fun things like, you know, I've been in practice for over twenty years, or my anesthesia group has been in practice for over a decade. I mean, that's really cool. But twenty years ago, when I when I was starting my career down at a a level one center in in Dallas, Texas, uh, that was kind of the um, uh, fertile crescent for for a lot of different things, including one now international uh, um, surgery center company. And they were building a location on the campus of that center. And I remember being in the doctor's lounge and the surgeons were having a discussion uh, along the lines of, gosh, who would want to have their gallbladder out and go home the same day? (laughs) Um, The answer is everybody. And it's it's troubling that they didn't foresee that, that, hey, the technology was getting to a certain point where, you know, not only could we have the equipment. But, you know, we had advances in anesthesia and regional anesthesia to the point where, yeah, you you can do those cases at an outpatient facility and send those appropriately screened patients home, you know, within an hour or so of their surgery. I see that trend continuing as it is really booming right now uh, from taking higher acuity cases from hospitals to ambulatory surgery centers for the next move to be from ambulatory surgery centers to appropriate surgeons' offices. Interesting. Uh, I really see that happening. And we've seen some evidence, at least from the governmental payers, uh, with pain management physicians, where they're being guided to do a certain percent of, say, epidural steroid injections in their office. They, they don't want them taking all those patients, especially the ones who don't need to be there, uh, to generate a facility fee and an ASC just for an epidural steroid in- injection. So I think that the, the patient certainly would appreciate that. Uh, I, I know that the payers are certainly trying to direct it there. Um, I know a lot of surgeons have been proactive about this and I really see that as, as the next trend. Um, you know, and this is coming from, from the guy who, uh, with Noble Anesthesia Partners, I mean, we've done outpatient craniotomies, uh, you know, same day brain surgery. So, um, yeah. Um, and again, you know, those, those, not all of those cases have to be done at a level one center. Uh, we're doing, you know, like I said, you know total joint replacements and um, other types of bigger, bigger cases, um, staple bariatric procedures and sending those patients home the same day. So again, you have to look at what the current cases are in the ASC and say how many of them could be done in appropriately equipped and staffed uh, surgeon's office.
1: That makes sense for that shift to continue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, I want to go back um, and talk about one of the things that you touched on earlier, which is, Scheduling, and you talked about kind of the need or or opportunity for different scheduling mixes to become more efficient to help with the staffing issues. What have, are there any best practices that you guys have seen at, at you know your practice or with your clients around uh, tools and process around scheduling? Because it seems like flexibility and in, in communication is becoming even even more important. Right for the for the ASC to be able to communicate with all stakeholders around scheduling and flexibility and taking input. Have you seen any good tools or best practices that have that have helped you guys um, in, in that communication?
2: Yes, and. Um, unfortunately I think that those are kind of, uh, falling into the category of the difficult discussions that they want to have. The surgery centers want to be accommodating. They, they, like, especially if they, um, are just opening or or trying to establish business or have expanded recently or whatever, they, they really want to be able to let the surgeons who more than likely are surgeon investors in the facility do any case they want any day of the week at any time. And, um, I, I, you know, would would love in a perfect world to be able to accommodate all of that. But um, I don't think that, A, um, they know how anesthesia is reimbursed. And I think that um, we've had discussions with with administrators and some surgeons just saying, hey, look, you know, I want to show you, like, why we're asking you to either stock cases or for you to pick an afternoon block in front of some others or whatever so that we can generate enough revenue to have the appropriate amount of providers that you want at that facility that day. But the other thing is I think that there's there's certainly a discussion to be had between the administrators and the, the surgeons and especially surgeon investors saying, hey, look, when you book one case on a day where we're not doing anything else, we have to bring in this many staff members. We have to turn the lights on, we have to generate all of these other things, and then anesthesia has to come out here, and they're doing it a lost leader. Um, over time, you know, annualized or whatever, saying if we had done these types of things, we would have generated another million dollars of IBITDA for the center had we not booked cases like that. And we're just starting to see the administrators sitting down at their meetings and start having those discussions uh, saying that, hey, look, You know, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And if we were to do this, your distribution checks as a physician investor would have each increased by X. Those are usually eye popping numbers. Those are usually things that I think would motivate everybody. But again, to your point, it requires a discussion. It requires some collaboration. Um, The other thing is recognizing some things that are kind of inherent that people don't think about. You know, the surgery center cases should be done earlier in the day. Most of those centers hire people for their, you know, seven to five shifts or, or, or you know, the anesthesia providers certainly expect to be kind of working during day hours or whatever. You know, the surgeon should always keep that in mind and the facilitator or administrator should be um, keeping that in mind when they accept those cases as well. Surgery center cases should be done at the beginning of the day. Um, the other cases that they need to do at the hospital, those again are either stipend or revenue guaranteed contracts with the other anesthesia group they have second shifts they 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 have another crew that that's working three to elevens or 7p to 7a or whatever they they have those providers in place and, and they're there in order to take on those later cases so the timing of the day in which when do i do my surgery center block whereas when do i go do my one or two inpatient cases to follow is huge um, you know, some of the cases at, at the hospitals are are bigger and run over, and it is not uncommon for a surgeon to book a case at, say, 11 a.m., thinking they can sneak a, sneak a case in at a hospital and then not showing up for one, two, three hours after their posting time at the surgery center. That's just not a good use of the resources for a facility, which does not, you know, run 24-7, 365. So it's some of those bigger considerations, and then some of the others like, hey, could you... You know, just put these cases all on the same day. Could we establish a block time for you? Um, could one of you, you know, take an AM block and then follow with an afternoon block? Just just doing things like that. So having those types of proactive, collaborative conversations further in advance as those schedules start to materialize for the weeks after is is key.
1: Yeah. yep. And, and, and you, you kind of touched on this theme of, hey, the, the scheduling and the efficiency is important for us and our teams um what about changing cases i I gotta imagine that can kind of throw a wrench in things too if if the if the time of the cases change around on you is is that is that an issue for you
2: guys and your customers are you talking like start times or durations of the cases
1: yeah when cases get scheduled or rescheduled on different days and and you kind of get late notifications on that is that much of an issue
2: (laughs) that not that not so much i i would say that the bigger uh, issue is, is something that I like to refer to as truth in posting. Um, I think if, if you ask any surgeon and, you know, it's, it's just the way it is and they say, Hey, how long do you need for this case? Oh, an hour. I need two hours or whatever. Um, usually those are woefully inaccurate. Um, and with the adoption of electronic health records and all of the the times that we record in the rooms or whatever, I really think that, that every facility, surgery centers, acute care, surgical hospitals, you know, tertiary care centers should utilize that data and say, hey, we're going to take an average duration from that surgeon's last 10 or 20 cases. And regardless if he or she thinks it's going to take an hour, we know it's going to take him three and a half. That is that is um, more important to to everybody, not, not only the, the staff and the other surgeons who may be posting cases that they thought were going to be able to start on time or the anesthesia providers, then, hey, uh, I just got to reschedule this case. Something came up. Can we do it on Friday? So I, I really think the truth in posting is is something that they everyone should pay more attention to. It's not just what the surgeon or the surgeon scheduler put down. It's Hey, the last time you did a total knee here, last 10 times, last 20 times, it took you three hours. So we're going to post that for three hours. And we're not going to let you put it on another case before then or tell another surgeon, hey, that room will be ready, you know, until after that three hour window. Uh, so that that that's that's one of the things that is is one of my causes. And I I Try to get everybody to drink that Kool-Aid, but it's it's been really challenging.
1: Sure. the The difference between what what it should take or what you'd like to take, right, versus what it actually does,
2: <laughs> right. And a lot of anesthesiologists will roll their eyes when they see whatever the procedure is posted and then see what they are requesting. And they go, "Yeah, that's not going to happen." So,
1: yep. Doctor Kijarski, one one final question for you. And we do this with with all of our guests every week. What's one thing our listeners can do this week to improve their surgery centers?
2: Um, really look at all of the stakeholders involved. I, I love doing the stakeholder exercise and um you know uh not assuming um anything. Um if if we look at a, a surgery center, for example, we have we have our patients, uh, you know, surgeons, uh anesthesia providers, we have our OR staff, we have our administrative staff, um, we have you know the administrators who are both at the facility and then the the others and And to look at everybody's goals and incentives, and really make sure that those are in alignment and if there are ongoing issues or if they have had trouble with anesthesia coverage or retaining anesthesia staff or canceling cases or whatever, ask that most important question: Why is this happening don't don't assume anything but just say, "Hey, why weren't you able to show up or you know um, why did you not want to do the case at this time?" or you've been talking about wanting to meet with our scheduler, maybe it's time for us to do that so that everybody can express their concerns. Uh, Really just taking a look at something that may have been in existence for 10, 15, 20 years for the first time, Um, as I mentioned, I think that what's going on in 2023 is great. Being able to tell people you can have a total hip replacement at a surgery center with your family close by and be able to get home and sleep in your own bed that same night is is amazing. And I'm so glad we have had all the advances in, in every aspect in order to get to that. But we need to have an understanding that those types of cases done in that type of facility present new challenges, and that we really need to make sure that we're all on the same page in order for it to not only make clinical sense, but financial sense for everybody as well.
1: Fantastic, well, I appreciate the advice and thanks so much for joining us today. <laughs>
2: great yeah and you know if, if anybody would uh, like to connect uh, again we have a great presence in in Texas but as I mentioned we have uh, our partners ambulatory management solutions in Chicago and their group their anesthesia group mobile anesthesiologists there we also have m2 anesthesia in Washington State and Oregon uh, we are you know um, you know preaching this this gospel to everyone and we have local resources if anybody would like to talk or or even in states that that we aren't yet I, I'd I'd love to do this. I really have a passion for it, and it's what drove me from leaving an employed model to to starting my own group back in 2011. Fantastic.
1: All right. Cool. That's a wrap.
0: As always, it has been a busy week in healthcare, so let's jump right in. Michigan-based health system, Trinity Health, is rolling out a new program called the Virtual Connected Care Program. This initiative changes up the healthcare delivery model by weaving in a virtual nurse to help care for patients and reduce the workload for in-person nurses. So under this new model, a patient's care team would consist of three people, two that are in person, the direct care nurse and the licensed practical nurse, and then the third would be the virtual nurse. According to Doug Descenzo, who's the regional chief nursing officer, the hope for this program is that it will help healthcare facilities find a way to decrease the demand for registered nursing nursing services while still delivering high-quality care that patients require. So the virtual nurse will be on camera, so they'll still have some face-to-face element with the patient. And the virtual nurse can provide a number of benefits. They can answer questions, provide support, or check patients out on demand. Um, they can connect with the families, therapists, and social workers. They can help prep the patient for discharge and, again, answer any questions and just help ease the burden that is on our healthcare workers right now. So if a patient needs something and they press the call button, the you know, the nurse is doing a million other things, has so many other patients they're caring for. By the time they have to kind of drop everything, go back to the patient, the virtual nurse could have answered all of their questions and then some. So that's kind of the vision. And when I first read this headline, I was very skeptical. Um, But after reading the vision of the program and knowing how much everyone is struggling right now with staffing, I actually think it's a pretty innovative way to use technology to help solve some of these staffing issues since, you know, you obviously can never replace a nurse entirely, but this might be a good way to kind of um, help ease the burden that our healthcare workers are experiencing right now. So the health uh, the health system intends to launch the virtual connected care program across 88 hospitals in 26 states over the next 12 to 17 months. So I'm interested to see how it's received and how it goes. Our next story is from Becker's ASC, and it's a pertinent story considering the discussion we just had with our guest this week, Dr. Jarski from Noble Anesthesia Partners. In a discussion with Adam Spiegel, who's the CEO of North Star Anesthesia, Adam shared that the demand for anesthesia providers in ASCs is growing right now, which is great, but unfortunately, at the same time, reimbursement rates are shrinking, and they're also experiencing some staffing shortages. Since Medicare and insurance companies are reducing reimbursement, anesthesia costs are being subsidized by hospitals and ASCs, you know, depending on the case And to add one more layer to it, with certified nurses being able to perform as anesthetists in many states, it is becoming more cost-effective to hire multiple CRNAs as opposed to multiple anesthesiologists. So that's kind of the state of things right now, but what do we do? My biggest takeaway from reading this is that it is vital that surgery centers partner and work closely with their anesthesia providers. Gone are the days where you can kind of semi ignore your anesthesia provider and not really know who they are and how, you know, the ins and outs of how the relationship works. You really need to bring them into the fold, consider them a stakeholder, and kind of hunker down together and create solutions that work for you both. So, super important that ASCs uh, this year and moving forward kind of tighten that relationship with the, with their anesthesia providers. Our third story is not so much a story, but I wanted to take a minute to share a program that ASCA is offering that I think is so important to the industry right now. In 2023, ASCA is offering two classes for what they call their ASC Administrator Development Program. They have two programs that start this year, And the first is a hybrid class that starts in May. And it's a mix of in-person content at the ASCA conference um, in Louisville and then monthly virtual content after that. And then the second um, is an all virtual class, but that doesn't start until October of 2023. So enrollment right now is open for the hybrid class and prospective mentors and mentees should submit their applications prior to February 28th. You know, due to staffing shortages and the shakeup from COVID, there are so many administrators who were promoted without the experience that former administrators have typically had in the past. Um, So this program is hugely important and matches up those mentors and mentees to help provide guidance, education, and moral support um, as these newer admins get acclimated. So if this sounds like something you're interested in or know someone who would be a good fit, please check out ASCA's website and we'll provide the link directly in our show notes as well. And to end our new segment on a positive note, Amy Avila Avila is a student registered nurse anesthetist and she's using her creativity and love for drawing to help her coworkers and peers reduce job-related anxiety. Amy is an extremely talented artist, and she uses human anatomy, medical equipment, and healthcare in general as inspiration for her drawings. Her peers use her drawings to color, and it's a way for them to both learn and relax at the same time, um, as we all know the toll that working in healthcare can take on uh, someone's mental health. So to see Amy's drawings, you can search for her on Pinterest, and we'll also include the link directly in our show notes, Uh, but you can go ahead and download them, give her feedback. Um, they're, They're really well done. And that news story officially wraps up this week's podcast. Thank you, as always, for spending a few minutes of your week with us. Make sure you subscribe or leave a review on whichever platform you're listening from. I hope you have a great day, and we'll see you again next week.